Hello and welcome to Sky Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what is just clickbait headlines. This is our latest last week in AI episode in which you can get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. And we'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our takes. Hello and welcome. This is Daniel Bashir here with Skynet Today's Week in AI. This week, we'll look at AI used in deepfake ads, combating online toxicity, fire mapping, and diagnosing sepsis. On September 29th, two ads featuring deepfake versions of Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un were supposed to air. The two leaders in the ads gave the same message, that America is doing a good enough job ruining its own democracy that it doesn't need their help. As the MIT Technology Review reports, the ads are part of a campaign from nonpartisan advocacy group Represent Us to protect voting rights during the upcoming US presidential election. The ads did include disclaimers that the footage was not real. The idea was to shock Americans into understanding the fragility of democracy and provoke them to take actions to ensure their votes count. Fox, CNN, and MSNBC, where the ads were supposed to air, pulled the ads last minute, but you can still find them on YouTube. With the US presidential election looming, disinformation and online discourse have been under intense scrutiny. Of course, these are only two of the possible ways the internet can be misused for toxic ends. But as TechCrunch reports, Spectrum Labs has recently raised $10 million to support its mission to tackle all of these misuses with AI. The startup has built algorithms and a set of APIs that can be used to moderate, track, flag, and stop harassment, hate speech, radicalization, and other toxic behavior in multiple languages. While content moderation used to be quite rudimentary, involving manual flagging of toxic content, AI has supercharged its effectiveness. It's notable not only that multiple startups are building businesses around fighting toxic content, but also that investors are interested in backing them. Hopefully we'll see continued investment in projects that could ultimately be good for our society, even when they aren't the biggest streams of cash. With global warming stoking an unprecedented spread of wildfires in California and other West Coast states this year, AI has been deployed to help. As Wired reports, drones have helped speed up the difficult process of mapping these wildfires, but they still took hours. In 2018, the Pentagon's new joint AI center began developing AI-based methods that can generate maps in 30 minutes. The Pentagon's bureaucracy has made this development difficult, and it has tapped the tech industry to help make its AI projects easier. But this urge raises questions about unintended or unethical consequences. Maven, an earlier controversial AI project that enlisted Google to train algorithms to detect objects such as vehicles and buildings and drone footage, caused employees to protest, saying it could contribute to weapons development. Similarly, the wildfire mapping project could help with missions aiming to cause destruction as opposed to stopping it. We've heard plenty of concerns about how AI deployed in medical settings might seem to work, then fail in practice. This last story is a bit different. 
Diagnosing sepsis is a notoriously difficult task because its symptoms can easily be mistaken for something else. To change that, a deep learning model called Sepsis Watch was developed. The MIT Technology Review reports that in November 2018, the tool was introduced in the Duke University Health System's emergency department, where managers and clinicians claim it has dramatically reduced sepsis-induced patient deaths. A new report from the Data and Society Research Institute says, however, that there's more to the story. The clinicians leading the project needed to perform significant social labor, not only designing new communication protocols and creating new training materials, but also navigating workplace politics and power dynamics. While it is certainly a success in one way, the story highlights a key aspect of deploying AI systems in the real world. Developers need to consider not only technical aspects, but also social integration. That's all for this week's News Roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events with Andre and Sharon. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had a summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about these news stories between two AI researchers. I am Andre Krenkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation in my research. And with me is my co-host... I'm Sharon, a third-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis, as well as in medicine. All right, and uh, I think we can just go on and dive into news discussion this week. There wasn't too much, so this might be a shorter one, uh, but there are some interesting stories. And the first one we have here is how an AI tool for fighting hospital deaths actually worked in the real world from the technology review. So at a high level, as you heard, this is about sepsis watch, which was a tool to diagnose sepsis, which is hard to do and it's important to catch early on. And the article uh, primarily focuses on how it wasn't just the algorithm working well that was necessary, but really integrating it into a workflow of the nurses and doctors in that location and how it really took years of kind of work to uh, really get positive results. So they started this in November of 2018, but it took you know a fair amount of time for it to actually be useful as part of the routine of nurses and doctors. And it took significant effort to sort of fight on the social side and not just on the algorithmic on technical side. So I thought it was uh, quite an interesting and fairly detailed uh, kind of explanation of how AI works in the real world in practice. And a uh, good sign that, you know, this is possible if you put it in work. Uh, what about you, Sharon? What did you make out from this article? Yeah, so sepsis uh, historically has been really challenging for hospitals to tackle. Um, and I think it definitely makes sense to bring AI in. So the reason why it's really hard to tackle is because it's a holistic problem with the entire body. So no department, at least before, would own it. And so everyone would just kind of pass the patient back and forth. I know that sounds awful, but that was reality and no one would own it. And so then patients would die from sepsis due to essentially an administrative problem. And so I think it definitely makes sense to bring in 
um, not only like some passive monitoring with AI, but also uh, to change the administrative practices around it. And if an AI tool can kind of help facilitate that, even if it's completely indirect and not intentional, I think that's awesome. Um, since there will be many, many more issues, uh, health issues in particular, that will arise that are holistic and that probably already exist, that are holistic. Um, but because we have specialized medicine and that's uh, that's very much incentivized here in the U.S. based on the U.S. healthcare system, because you, uh, as a doctor, you earn a lot more as a specialist. Uh, it definitely makes sense, I think, to have, um, I think at least to have AI be at least a passive monitor uh, on a lot of these issues. And this, this includes COVID moving forward. So once this kind of dies down and maybe we have a vaccine, it still would be great to have kind of a passive monitoring of COVID, if, even if all our doctors are not alert to it or are specialized in something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, as you said, it's cool to see that this sort of passive monitoring uh, is being done, and uh, certainly there are other use cases. Uh, one other thing I found interesting was uh, this article is actually based on a report called Repairing Innovation and Study of Integrating AI in Clinical Care. And this report is from Data and Society, an independent nonprofit research organization. So it's interesting to see actual case studies of you know these uh, AI medical models uh, being released and you really taking a look at what it takes for AI to be integrated well, as opposed to just sort of trying to force it in once you have the model and not taking care to uh, see, you know, what you need to do to make it work. Uh, so yeah, very interesting and good to see that people are working to get things out of there and not just uh, think about it. Yes, but moving on to where AI might not be so great, the next article is on ExamSoft's remote bar exams that have essentially sparked some privacy and facial recognition concerns. And the premise of this article is that one individual going through this found that uh, that this uh, test monitoring software to monitor whether you're taking the test and focusing uh, is is uh, biased or can't detect her face. Uh, and that is very, very concerning. Um, she needs to shine a light directly on her face throughout the entire two-day process of taking this exam. Yeah, so interesting to hear uh, that these sorts of problems are still so prevalent, especially this article notes that you know tens of thousands of people will be taking this bar exam with the software. Right, so it's not like a few people will be impacted. A lot of people will be impacted by this uh, flawed facial recognition. And although we, you know, if if it doesn't detect your face, it doesn't mean you fail the exam. It kind of reports you to some human supervisor. Still, it's some extra source of stress. Uh, and things like needing to shine a light in your face is causing extra distraction and headaches. And yeah, it is clearly a problem. It's, it also makes me think of how we discussed last week with respect to Twitter and their uh, cropping algorithm, uh, where even if the uh, model wasn't obviously biased or it was not too clear how biased it was, whatever, when you make the AI have this power, uh, like cropping and, and sort of emphasizing one part of the image, or in this case, uh, detecting if you're there or not via facial recognition, 
even if it's mostly good or or you know not problematic in some cases it might be best to just not do it right uh, because the failure cases where it doesn't recognize you and now you know you need to shut your line your face or you need to worry about it seems like it just uh, adds to a problem so not sure what the solution is i mean presumably people developing this are trying to make it unbiased but uh, another case where it seems kind of tricky yeah, I agree. Definitely extremely tricky. And um, I think showing also that the pandemic exacerbates some of the issues uh, of relying very heavily on software because we can't have anything in person anymore. Uh, of course, in person doesn't mean it's better uh, or that there aren't bias issues, certainly, uh, but different a different host and a different set of issues do arise uh, given given this. And uh, to close things off, we'll discuss with just one more piece uh, that's a bit more fun, uh, less concerning, which is titled Deepfake Putin is here to warn Americans about their self-inflicted doom. And again, this is from the Technology Review. And yeah, as you heard, it's all about this ad where they had Putin and also I think uh, King John, uh, all, uh, the, the dictator of uh, North Korea, uh, basically warn Americans that they need to vote and that democracy is fragile. And this was meant to be a kind of positive uh, use of deepfakes by the nonpartisan advocacy group represent us. So pretty fun. Um, I don't know, Sharon, did you take a look at these ads at all? I did. I did. I was actually impressed with the amount of expression. Typically, deepfakes look very dead and they didn't. Um, I would say... Uh, I guess we kind of saw this coming. Obviously, it is an issue. Um, there are other deep fake applications that uh, have been highlighted by people across the week uh, that have been an issue, uh, specifically by Jack Clark, who will be coming on our podcast uh, uh, later, I believe next week or the week after. And um, I, it, yeah, like some of these are definitely concerning because I know one of them uh, actually kind of raised someone from the dead, like posthumously. Arguably, the parents gave consent. Uh, their child had passed away from or had been uh, uh, murdered in like a home, in a school shooting or something like that. And uh, and then that person came back to life to, to say, like, don't don't encourage this and um, definitely and vote for a certain thing as well. And so I think um, I think they're like certain lines that are being tested and kind of balanced upon. And I think we'll see how this plays out. Um, this one's definitely obviously fake, but it, it does look fairly realistic, I would say. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I also took a look and I thought it looked pretty good. Uh, although the, the speech was a little more obviously kind of actor-like. Um, I found it interesting that uh, this article noted that uh, this wasn't pure deepfakes. There was a post-production crew that cleaned up some artifacts and made it a bit more realistic. But it still noted that the whole thing took only 10 days, whereas doing something like this with CGI, with computer graphics, would have likely taken months and been way more expensive. So it's also maybe showing how in the future, smaller teams could use AI as a cheaper and faster way to have special effects 
that today Hollywood can do, but you need the full sort of power of Hollywood behind you to do that. Whereas here we can use uh, GANs and our techniques to do it, let's say, on cheap, and maybe it doesn't look as good as you can do, but still pretty good. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects the world of filmmaking and, and creativity in general. Yeah, definitely. And I'm generally curious about, you know, consent. Obviously, I highly doubt they got consent from these two world leaders. Uh, and yeah, I guess at what point, for what is their consent? I, I guess it's parody. So technically, there doesn't need to be. So I, I don't know. It, there's lots of questions, I think, to to be drawn here. Yeah, this is definitely a, a very sort of innocuous thing. I believe they, they say it's then they kind of point out this is a deep fake and it's meant as a sort of stunt. So this is a kind of fun use of deep fakes, but no doubt uh, we'll see more and more of these sorts of edge cases and trickier cases and we'll have to see you know, what we can do about it, how we can draw the line per se. Right. And with that, we close out this week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating if you like the show. Be, Be sure, sure to, to tune, tune in next week.